If you'd like to follow along, please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's on page 961. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Just about ready to wrap up this this series. It looks like we're going to end at the end of December and be able to start something at the, the first of the year. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. We ask for the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit. We want to hear, read, and understand this passage. What did it mean when Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth? And then also, Father, what does it mean for us today? Please open our eyes. Teach us and give us soft hearts that willingly receive the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. It often happens that in a big sports game, like a championship game, or a Super Bowl, or a World Series, or anything like that, it often happens that the entire game and the entire championship comes down to one play. Everything is riding on on one play. And and however that play turns out, it determines the winner of the game, which determines the winner of the series, which determines the, the winner of the whole season. It often comes down to one big play. And of course, this is sports. So that play happens lightning fast. It, it's over very quickly. It, it's a blur. It's, it's a flash of action. And the officials have to make the call. And so often on these big plays, the officials will consult the video replay. They'll, they'll go back and look at the footage because they don't want to rely just on their visual observation. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they saw it, but then it, it was over so quickly, they don't want to make a call on what they... They thought they remembered seeing, or, or maybe they saw the first part, but then at the end, a, a, another player blocked the, the critical moment, so they consult the video. And if you're watching the game on TV, you see largely what the officials are seeing. Now, they have access to everything, and we just are showing whatever the broadcasters choose to show us, but we see a lot. We, we see multiple angles, and we see the video being slowed down, slow motion, then super slow motion, and then frame by frame, and then it's a stop reverse, forward again, stop, reverse, stop. And they're trying to capture that moment. Did did his foot cross the line? Did did his knee touch the ground? Did did his foot hit the bag in time? And they're trying to make the right call. Why? Because everything's riding on it. It's the big play. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1-11, Paul is talking about the gospel. Everything is writing on the gospel. It's more important than any championship game or Super Bowl or World Series or any athletic competition that the world can dream up. It's more important than anything that they can package or in entertainment. It's more important than any achievement, personal or corporate or, or, or national. It's, it's bigger than everything. It's all writing on the gospel. So what Paul does is he takes this this gospel, which the Corinthian 
people have heard before. And he slows it down and he gives them a slow motion gospel replay, frame by frame. Because it seems that some of the people, at least some of these raw believers, didn't fully understand everything about the gospel that they say they believed in. And it all rides on this one play. It all comes down to the gospel. And the great thing about this passage is that Paul slows it down and it's like we're there in the official's booth with him. We get to stand right next to Paul and watch this slow motion, frame by frame, gospel replay. So here it is, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they. So we preach, and so you believed. Verse 1 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. It could also be translated as, Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel I proclaim to you. So Paul's saying, what I'm about to tell you, I've already told you. What is that? That's a replay. They've heard this before, but he's going to slow it down. He's saying, even though I've already preached this to you, you need to hear it again. Why? Because it seems as if some of them were departing from Paul's original teaching. If we glance down at verse 12, Lord willing, we'll look at that next week. If we glance down at verse 12, you'll see that some of them were denying a bodily resurrection. Let's listen to Paul's language in in verses 1 and 2. The gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So this departure from the truth does not seem seem to be intentional. They, They didn't purposefully, they aren't purposely rebelling against the truth. These aren't people that are causing division. These aren't false teachers that are trying to worm their way into the church to to plant poisonous, toxic, false doctrine. They just didn't get it. He wouldn't have written that they had received it and that they now stand in it if they had purposely rejected the truth. He would have been coming at them a little bit harder than this. So it doesn't look like it's intentional. That's good. So what happened? They've heard it before. Now he's preaching it again. Well, maybe they didn't quite catch it the first time. There's there's no doubt in our minds that Paul 
gave them the pure, unadulterated gospel. That, that's without question. Paul didn't get it wrong. So the communication error must be on their end. They didn't quite receive it correctly. Maybe not everything sank in. Maybe they believed, but it was not clear to them exactly what they were believing in. Maybe there was some confusion from the very beginning. Remember, let's try to put ourselves in the shoes of these of these believers. First century, first generation Christians. They had no Bible. Excuse me, they had no New Testament Bible. They had the Old Testament scriptures, but they didn't have the New Testament. So after Paul preached to them, they couldn't go home and say, okay, now wait a minute. What, what was he saying there? Oh, okay, I get it now. As they reread it. They had nothing to reread. There, there was no scripture passage for that morning. Paul was proclaiming the gospel and he was giving it all to them. Think about how much doctrine there is in the New Testament. He was giving it to them over and over again. And, and they were listening to this truth and it was ringing true in their hearts. They knew it was right. And, and they were witnessing miraculous signs. And, and they, they didn't know Jesus personally during his incarnation, but he seemed worthy of worship. And as he was presented, they, they agreed with it all. But there was so much to take in. Maybe they didn't quite fully get what the resurrection was all about. Maybe they spiritualized it. You know, kind of like a, a Jesus rises again every time we believe in our hearts. Let's, let's ask this question. Is it possible to say that you believe in Jesus and even join yourself to his church without fully understanding what it means to believe in Jesus? And the answer is yes. Yeah. Yes. This was true of the Corinthian church. We've seen this. They definitely believed in Jesus and joined themselves to his church without fully understanding what it meant to leave their worldliness behind. Paul spent a quarter of this letter talking about getting rid of worldliness that they, they weren't getting the first time around. They, they joined themselves to his church without fully understanding what the Lord's Supper was about. Chapter 11 showed us that. They weren't getting that. So yes, it's possible to, to believe in Jesus, even to join yourself to his church without fully understanding everything there is to know about what it means to follow Jesus. And that's why he includes these qualifiers. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Yes, the gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, but that what you believe in must be genuine. The, the, the belief must be in the truth, and that belief must persevere. Paul's saying this, you must believe and hold fast to the gospel I proclaim to you if you are believing and holding fast to something other than that, then you're believing in vain. That's not going to cut it. So now in, in verse 3, he's going to show them the slow motion gospel replay and when he slows it down they're going to be able to see the importance of the resurrection and he's saying no this is this is critical this is a must have this, this is a gospel deal breaker you, you can't leave this out so he says in, in verse 3 for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that should sound familiar we, we saw this almost word for word, a little bit, uh, maybe, maybe switched around a little bit in chapter 11 when we hit the Lord's Supper. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.3. This is our verse. 
And then 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That's, that's pretty much the same thing. What he's saying is, look, this is not man-made. I'm not coming up with this on my own. This isn't the Apostle Paul and his take on it. This is directly from God. I'm simply passing it on. And, and then he adds to this, the resurrection teaching is of first importance, chief, foremost, number one. These are non-negotiable components of genuine faith or belief. So here we go. Here's the video. Verse 3b, the second half of verse 3, reviewing the play. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Romans 5, 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians 1, 3, and 4, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Over and over again, the New Testament, this is Gospel 101, basic, fundamental component of the gospel. This, this event, Jesus dying for ungodly sinners like you and me, is a necessary uh, component of the gospel because of our sinful nature. Because of our, our natural separation from God. This, this is necessary. It's required. We are, we are apart from, from God other than Christ. And for us, this means that Jesus died in our place. He took the penalty for our sin that we deserve. Jesus, on our behalf, took the wrath of God that we deserve on himself. And this act of atonement, which means covering, this covering of sin or this payment of sin is what allows us to be able to place our faith in him and be forgiven. Christ died for our sins. The only way God can forgive anyone's sin is for that penalty to have been paid by someone else. And that someone else is Jesus. Jesus made satisfaction or took care of the penalty that we deserve. Jesus did this. Uh, did that. But this, this payment, this satisfaction is not applied to all people automatically. The, the work that Jesus did on the cross is not automatically credited to everyone who ever lived. It is only for those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is the, only for those who repent and believe. It is only for those who turn to him with saving faith. Without Jesus as your Savior, you have no sin substitute. You, you have no one on your behalf going before God and making that payment, making that atonement, making that, that sacrifice for sins. Without Christ, you have no one. Which means God, being just, will hold every person accountable for every single sin they have ever committed in word, thought, and deed. Everything you've done, everything you haven't done that you should have done, every thought that's ran through your mind that is impure. Wow. 
And God will judge each person outside of Christ, not with grace, but with justice, with pure justice. And for God to judge people justly outside of Christ means an eternity in hell. Justice for those that have sinned against God is an eternity in the lake of fire, eternal conscious torment. Do you see how everything comes down to the gospel? This is the play. It, it, it all comes down to here. Well, the slow motion still running. It says, in, in accordance with the scriptures, the whole of scripture points to Jesus Christ as God's deliverer. We saw that if you were here when we went through Genesis, when we went through the book of Job. Do you remember how much Christ was in the Old Testament? Every passage, every passage. You could, you could beat a path to the cross. Every passage, Jesus stood out. But there are some Old Testament verses that stand out more than the rest. I'm thinking of this one, Isaiah 53, 5. That's one of those verses that stands out. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. You can hear that substitutionary atonement language in each of those phrases. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So when, when, we talk, when Paul says, in accordance with the scriptures, he's talking about all the scriptures, but, but something like this stands out. It was decreed by God before the foundation of the world that Jesus would die for our sins. It was according to his definite plan. It's, it's the centerpiece of the gospel. The cross is the centerpiece. Let's advance the video by, by one frame. Verse 4, he was buried. Buried is mentioned to, to highlight the totality and the finality of his death. And it has a twofold purpose. You can look at it from, from two ways. First, it shows us that Jesus completely died. He, he didn't just um, uh, pass out for, for a moment and then, and then be, be revived later after they took him away from, from the cross. No, he died and he was placed in a sealed tomb. And then secondly, it shows us that he really rose from the dead. He was in the grave for three days. They wrapped him in burial cloths. Verse 3, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He rose from the dead on the third day. Now, in, in Jewish reckoning, uh, any portion of a day is considered a day, and days are considered and often described as a day-night cycle. So that, that's why we're going to see in just a moment, we're going to see an Old Testament verse and a New Testament verse People usually kind of sometimes get tripped up and say, well, wait a minute, it was only Friday was part of a day and Sunday was not much of a day at all. Yes, that's true, that's correct. But they're reckoning it from any portion of that day-night cycle is, it counts as a day. So, so when we look at these, keep that in mind. In accordance with the scriptures, Jonah 1.17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Or, or any portion of a day-night cycle, three day-night cycles. And then Jesus picks this up in, in the New Testament, Matthew twelve forty. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In accordance with the scriptures, he was raised on the third day. And then the witnesses. 
verses 5 through 8, the different appearances. We know that uh, the first witnesses to the resurrection were the women, the two Marys. Uh, we know that. That's what, that's what we're told. And there may have been other witnesses to Jesus' post-resurrection appearances and, and time on earth before he ascended. There very well, very well may be. But Paul, for whatever reason, uh, p- perhaps a traditional listing, uh, something that was, that was rattled off whenever this got preached, these kind of stacked witnesses together. But for whatever reason, he starts with Peter. That's what Cephas is, Peter's name in Aramaic. So the Apostle Peter, the 12, meaning the 12 apostles, minus Judas plus Matthias, Judas's replacement. 500 brothers at one time. We don't know anything else about this large appearance to the 500 brothers at one time other than it happened. And, but, but look at the detail. Paul says, look, if you, if you want to verify this, go ahead. Some of them have died. That's what he means by falling asleep. But some of these people are still alive. Go talk to them. Check it out yourself. James, Jesus' half-brother, remember he did not follow Jesus when Jesus was performing his incarnate ministry, but he believed later and became a leader in Jerusalem church. All the apostles, another appearance to the apostles. So this was a real bodily resurrection with multiple appearances to, to multiple witnesses and even the ability to go back and talk to some of those witnesses. And then in verse 8, he, he says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he, also, he appeared also to me. Paul was the last of the apostles. Remember, his, his experience and call on the road to Damascus, that was not a typical apostolic call. That, that was unique. He, he was the only one that got called that way by Christ. And he was also the last one, hence to one untimely born. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I have persecuted the church of God. This is a confession of sin. This, this is a statement of shame. You know, sometimes we talk about people, and, or maybe ourselves, and we say, well, I've, I've got a, a checkered past. This wasn't a checkered past. This was an evil past. This was a dark, evil, violent past. He persecuted the church of God. He hated Jesus Christ. He hated the church. He hated Christians. He violently persecuted them. This is a confession of sin. This is not a badge of honor or something that he he lists off so that everybody knows about it. This is a, a shameful confession of sin. And he does this so that everybody understands that he has done nothing to deserve being an apostle. Verse 10, instead, it's been all grace. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God is with me. Grace, 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 three times. I don't deserve this. This part about working harder than the rest, this is not Paul saying, well, even though I was the last one called, I was actually... I'm, I'm still the best because I work harder than any of them. That, that's not it at all. He's saying, I don't deserve to be here. But for whatever reason, God had grace on me. And I'm going to work to the best of my ability as long as I can, as hard as I can, until Christ calls me home. And even that, even all the work I do, that's just grace. That's, that's not me. It's all God. It's all grace. 
And lastly, verse 11, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. All the apostles are saying the same thing. That's what he means, uh, then it was, whether then it was I or they. I or the other apostles. It doesn't matter if you talk to Paul. It doesn't matter if you talk to Peter. It doesn't matter. All the apostles are saying the same thing. It's the same gospel that's being preached. There's a uniform message that's being delivered. It's the same thing. It doesn't matter. We preach it. That's what you must believe. All these stacked witnesses, they're saying the same thing. Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus is alive. He did not stay dead. The resurrection of Jesus is not some spiritual awakening. It's not a memorial where where Jesus rises every time someone remembers him. These witnesses were not hallucinating. It's not possible, we're told by by psychologists and and those that know, it's not possible to have a mass hallucination. You can have an hallucination, I can have an hallucination, but we can't all together have the same hallucination. That just doesn't happen. It was a real historical event, and it must be understood in light of the scriptures to grasp its full meaning. And the resurrection is a necessity to right belief. It is a must-have when it comes to genuine saving faith. Paul is telling them, look, maybe you didn't catch this the first time around. Maybe this teaching about Jesus was like trying to take a drink from a fire hose and you you caught a little bit here and there, but a lot of it was just spraying past. Maybe you couldn't take it all in, so so you kind of missed this. But I'm telling you now, you can no longer miss it. You can't get off the hook by saying you're not sure what this is about. You're not going to be believing in the gospel that I preached unless you believe in the resurrection. If you don't have the resurrection, then you have believed in vain. If you don't have the resurrection, then you're not holding fast to the word I preach to you. If you don't have the resurrection, then you don't have the resurrected Jesus Christ. He's going to make that point a little bit later. If Jesus, if you don't have the resurrection, all you have is this Jesus guy who had a somewhat controversial ministry and then came to a very tragic end. Period. End of story. You must have the gospel and you must have the resurrection. Everything is writing on it. Your eternal future is writing on it. The church is writing on it. If we were to summarize this this brief snapshot, 1 to 11, we could say this. Paul is retelling the gospel to them slowly and deliberately with an emphasis on the resurrection and the witnesses to the resurrection. The gospel that he and others first preached to them is the only gospel that saves. Consequently, it is the gospel they must believe in and hold fast to. There's only one application point this morning. I want to ask if there's anyone here who might be in the same place as the raw believers in Corinth. Earlier we asked the question, is it possible to say you believe in Jesus and even join yourself to his church without fully understanding what it means to believe in Jesus? And the answer is yes. Yes. Including some of these raw believers. I still remember vividly uh, a woman I was talking with 
let's just call her the lady from Massachusetts, that's where I was. We were sitting around a table, she was a professing Christian, she was a member of a church, and she said, I just don't understand why Jesus had to die. He was such a nice man. Why did they have to kill him? Yes, it's possible to say you believe in Jesus and to join yourself to his church without fully understanding the gospel. So is there anyone here today that might not fully understand that Jesus really died and really rose again from the dead on the third day? Is there anyone here that doesn't fully understand verses 3 and 4? Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Is there anyone who doesn't fully understand that? And and here's what I mean by that. Is there anyone here that might confess or agree with the statement that the gospel is great and, and the resurrection is something good and it's something that that you need to believe in and you should believe in but in the end it really doesn't matter if Jesus rose from the dead what really matters is that you believe it and that you have faith in God and that that you go to church believe whatever they tell you to believe whether it's true or not that doesn't matter It, it matters that you have faith and that you believe who's to say if it really happened or not we weren't there what matters is you, is you believe it and, and you do your best. There was a, a deacon once who walked into the barber shop to get his hair cut. He sat down in the chair. Barber put the apron around him and tucked in the neckband, sprayed some water and began running a comb through his hair. And he said, what, what do you need today? And so they, they, they began the, the haircut. And this barber liked to make small talk with his customer, so he asked him where he's from, what he did, and, and through that small talk, the deacon eventually shared that he was a, a member of so-and-so church, and that he's a deacon there, and, and, and after he got done talking, the barber said, well, you know, I, I think that's great, and I'm really glad that you, that's important to you, and that you're kind of giving back to the community, and I think that's great for your kids, but, you know, I've, I always thought, I believe in God, and I, I've always thought that, you know, all you have to do is just, just believe that he is and, and do your best. And that's all God can ask of anybody is that we do our best, right? And then he finished the haircut and the deacon had been thinking and, and he stand up and he, he went to pay for the haircut and he said, I'll tell you what, he said, he said where do you get your haircut? Because the barber had, mm, I mean... Not a lot better than, than this. He had, the barber had that nice fade. He had the, the clean cut trim line. I mean, it was just impeccable. He said, oh, I don't, he said, I don't, I, I go to the town next. I've got a barber friend. We, we trade off and we cut each other's hair. The deacon said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a haircut right now. There's no more walk-ins. You said your schedule was free. I'll cut your hair. Barber said, no. No, I promise I'll do my best. <laughs> barber said, no, Thanks and no offense, but I, I just I don't think your best is going to be good enough. And Deacon said, if my best isn't good enough for you, what makes you think your best is going to be good enough for God? And the barber said, I walked right into that one. And he said, yes, you did. You did. <laughs> Doing our best 
while believing in something isn't going to cut it. Doing our best while believing in something that may or may not be true, doing our best and believing in something is going to land us in hell. This is what Paul's teaching right here. He's showing this this slow motion gospel replay because everything is writing on it. You've got to get this right. Don't believe in something. Believe in this. This real historical event. We need to have more than to hope in or to have faith in or to believe in something. We need the truth. We need the gospel. We've seen the slow motion footage this morning. And we've seen that the faith that God calls us to is grounded in an actual real historical event. This, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was born in Bethlehem approximately 2,000 years ago. He grew into a man. He lived a perfect life in thought, word, and deed. He never had an impure thought run through his mind. He never failed to do something he was supposed to do according to the law of God. He lived perfectly, and then he willingly gave himself up and died on a cross. And when he died, he died to pay for the sins of his people. I want to read some selected scripture passages. I'm just going to be hopping around. This is Acts 2. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Acts 17. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. King Jesus rose from the dead. He is currently ruling and reigning, and he is coming again soon. The king is alive. He is the rightful ruler of this world, and he is returning soon, either to gather his people to him or to bring judgment on those who have not made peace with them. The gospel has been described as a summons, a summons to make peace with the king while there is still time. Look at what Jesus said in Mark 1.15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Do you hear that? That's the summons from the king. Make peace with him while there's time. Because one of two things is going to happen. The king is going to come back or we are going to die. One of those two things. And those, one of those two things is going to happen relatively soon. Now, you may be living a little longer than the person next to you. You may be living a little shorter than the person next to you. But regardless, it's happening 
soon. And when he returns or when we die, whichever comes first, the door is shut. And it cannot be opened. It is shut permanently. Luke 13 Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door. And you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then he will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. The good news is that there is still time. The good news is that there is forgiveness and full pardon of all your sins, every last one of them, right now. If you turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and belief, he will forgive you. That's the good news. Make peace with the king while there is still time. For those who have never crossed that threshold of commitment, the time is now. We're we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I, I put a friend in the grave last weekend, 55. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. The time is now. For those of us who have repented and believed in the gospel by which you are being saved, hold fast to the word I preached to you. And I, I hope we all understand this. The gospel is not a, a one and done. It's not a, uh, I, I said a prayer and I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was, you know, whenever. And, and so now I'm, I'm good. It's not something that we do for a season in our life. How many of us have joined a gym and we're not a member of a gym anymore? How, how many of us have started a, a hobby and now we don't do that hobby anymore? No, it's not like joining a gym. It's more like breathing or eating or sleeping. It's something we do continually. We follow Jesus until he returns or until he takes us home, whichever comes first. The gospel of Jesus Christ. We saw it in slow motion this morning. Paul gave it to them frame by frame because everything is writing on it. We want to get this one right. It all comes down to this. Everything comes down to this. Our eternity, forever, comes down to this. Repent and believe in the gospel. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for showing us clearly in your word what it is that you have done for us and the command to repent of our sin and turn to Jesus Christ in faith. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who has never done that, I pray that you you move on their heart. I pray that you convict them of their sin. 
their need for a Savior, the truth that none of us can be good enough. And Father, for those of us who have repented and believed, we ask that you would hold us up so that we can hold fast to the word that is preached to us. We, we want to persevere in following Jesus according to the word of Jesus. Amen.